there's one thing I would want to encourage young people to understand is that you have a responsibility, you, you have the privilege actually to think about how do I want my life to progress? How can I move the direction of the needle? Two degrees, one degree so that I end up at a very different place than where I might have had I not changed that trajectory. Welcome, I'm David Eggers, Broadway vet, director, choreographer, and now college professor. My goal here is to help you prepare for some of the mental challenges that come with a musical theater career. Join me and my guests as we uncover mental processes, perspectives, and mindset shifts that can help fortify and sustain you, even propel you forward into a long and fruitful career in musical theater. Thanks for being here, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the mental game of musical theater. You are in for a treat today. I have with me one of my dearest and oldest friends. We met many, many years ago, pounding the pavement and uh, treading the boards in New York City together. I have with us an, an amazing human being. He has done so much, both as a performer and as an entrepreneur and in the world of health and wellness, he is everything that I aspire to be, to be quite honest. Um, my friend here today is Trip Hansen. Hi, Trip. Hello, David. I am so excited you're here. Let me tell people about you. As an actor, you have done a lot of shows. You've worked a lot of places regionally as well as, as Broadway. And I just want to throw out some of these titles and places. You, you worked at Kansas City Starlight, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, Paper Mill Playhouse, and on the Broadway, oh my gosh. First of all, I should say you were part of an amazing tap dancing, singing trio called the Manhattan Rhythm Kings, which then ended up taking you into crazy for you on broadway which is so mind-blowing to me the original crazy for you oh my gosh it's wild that show follows me yeah it's wild <laughs> um iconic iconic show in the american musical theater you went on to also do kiss me kate on broadway thoroughly modern millie on broadway where i got <laughs> to work with you on stage you did the boys from syracuse on broadway drowsy chaperone on broadway and then if that isn't enough you have also been called as a health and wellness practitioner, and you started your own acupuncturist practice that you had for 15 years in New York City, the premier acupuncturist in the city. And oh my, let me just tell everyone, you saved my life so many times um, <laughs> because I was still trying to keep up with the youngins, you know, doing some shows. And Why do you think I became an acupuncturist? <laughs> <laughs> I can remember going to you, not being able to move my neck or my back and walking out of there ready to do that evening's show. I mean, so many times you saved me. You were a tremendous service in our industry in New York City with healing perspectives. And then you also started to do some coaching with Mind Mastery Institute. And now you're taking all of your knowledge and funneling it into an online course, which I want to talk about before this is over. And I think that is just what has got me so excited to have you here today because you and I have shared conversations before, and now you're putting it into an online course to help people in the performing arts and creatives um, whose livelihood depends on performing under high pressure, for example. Yeah, we are a singular and unique population, right? We have to create on command, and the very act of creation from a neuroscience perspective demands that we challenge the part of our brain that doesn't like newness, that mm. doesn't like to move into the unknown because the unknown to our primitive lizard, whatever you want to call it, brain, anything new is dangerous. And so right. we walk into a room and we go, here, I'm open to you, saber-toothed tiger. Chew me <laughs> up, spit me out, whatever you want to do. So we have a singular concern that we have to address as creatives, as people in the arts. And it's what we're called to do. This is a soul-driven mission for most of us, right? Mm -hmm. It is baked in, that's for sure. Yeah, it's in the DNA that we want to create something that is impactful and affects other people. And at the same time, we want to express something of ourselves and bring something authentic, hopefully, to the conversation that allows us to feel more fully expressed so 
that we're in that transformational relationship with an audience. Mm, I love how you phrase that. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, here we go. We're already going down this path that you and I find <laughs> so intriguing and fascinating. But I just want to back up a wee bit. How long have we known each other? Oh my gosh. Good what? Lord. We have known each other since the late 1990s. That's how long we've been friends. You know what the young people are calling that now? The late 1900s. <laughs> you know how we talk about our grandparents being born in the late 1800s? Well, uh -huh. we were, you and I met in the late 1900s. So. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still here. We're still kicking. <laughs> Damn it. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask you for a moment to talk about how Manhattan Rhythm Kings paired up with Tommy Tune, you performed all over the world. And yeah. I even I, I read somewhere you even went to the Soviet Union during that time. We did. Is, yeah, we spent 15 days as part of an exchange, a, a cultural exchange with Russia. And wow. um, it was something that was uh, sponsored by the Chautauqua Institute out in Western New York. Beautiful program. I think it was the contingency might have been something like 200 people. We... The Manhattan Rhythm Kings with Tommy Toon. We took our act. We were like the representing Broadway. Barbara Cook was there with her, mm. God bless him, Wally Harper. I know. Mm -hmm. So we were sort of the Broadway representation, although she was sort of also representing Cabaret more at that point. They had astronauts. They had religious leaders. They had politicians. What it was was we were sort of integrated with groups over there and we spent two weeks sort of interacting with artists doing performances but also attending performances that were in our honor and we were doing things in their honor and it Incredible. was it was really beautiful my kind of mind-blowing life-altering one of those trips because anybody who travels knows this but when you go somewhere that is so different from your daily waking normal life it changes something about you yeah, that would be a clue for where we're going to go in this conversation. But travel is one of those things that kind of instantly jumps you to, oh, you mean they don't eat the same food I do? Oh, they don't care about the same issues that I do? Oh, they take a nap every afternoon, like just because? Oh, and so you suddenly see that your way is not the only way. And that's yeah. kind of a fast track to transformation. I think everybody should travel. I think everybody should travel to distant countries that do things very differently, but with respect. We have to really honor these other cultures because they, we all have something to teach each other, right? Absolutely. And when we go, we are a uh, grateful guest in those mm -hmm. other places in and the world. And yes, we are a guest. Exactly right. I so agree. I got to travel a little bit when I was young too. I never got as far as the Soviet Union, but I did get to take a job that took me to Germany. And that was the first time I had left the country. And while I was in Germany, yeah thanks to their system of, and their government and their employment laws, I was required to take so much time off during my year plus that I worked there. And I was like, okay, so I guess I'll travel. <laughs> and I went to Italy and I went to Amsterdam. I did go to England. I traveled throughout Germany a little bit as well. And just even those small trips, there are much more exotic places one could go, right? But those trips just did exactly what you're saying. They opened my eyes. They changed my perspective on the world. They widened my own perspective about my life and where mm -hmm. I fit in. And I was a very young person, but oh my gosh, it was a formative experience for me. Absolutely. And I have right. craved traveling ever since then. But tell me how the Manhattan Rhythm Kings went from touring the world and touring with Tommy Toon and Barbara Cook and these other incredible musical theater icons to being in Crazy For You. <laughs> well, this brings brings us to another icon. I knew Susan Stroman personally. I had known her since my second job as an actor in New York City was at the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park where we did Peter Pan. And Susan Stroman, most people don't know, was Tiger Lily in that production. No way. No way. 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 She was <laughs> and so good. So that's where we met. And interestingly enough, 10 years later to the day, we started rehearsals for Crazy For You. Wow. I mean, the day we started rehearsal, I sent her flowers at rehearsal and said, happy anniversary, darling. <laughs> so we had been friends through those years. She had hired me for different things along the way, as well as another guy in the group, Hal Shane, was also friends with her. And they had done Very Good Eddie and other shows together. And somehow, unbeknownst to Hal and myself, we were both having conversations with Susan about the idea of 
Hang on, just to mm-hmm. clarify, Hal was another Manhattan Rhythm King? He was person? another guy yes. in the Rhythm Kings, yep. Yes, so Crazy for You is based on Girl Crazy. It was sort of a reworking of that original source material. In that production on Broadway, there were four what they called the Cowboy Quartet. This was back in the day, in the in the 30s. They had to close the curtain to change the sets, and so they had these four cowboys come on and go, I'm biding my time. Right. And do a crossover so that they could change the set. Down in one. That's right. Old vaudeville. (laughs) Uh And so they were looking for how to rework that concept. Like, who can we get? And Mike Ockrent was so open to it. God bless him. And Susan brought us in. She was like, I think I have an idea. And so I was talking to her and Hal was talking to her and she's like, okay. So we went in and did an audition and we went in and sang some of our material in our white tie and tails because that was sort of our garb. And at the end of it, they said, we want you to come back and we want you to do some materials. So we went home to our rehearsal studio, aka our living rooms. I had a lot of acting class experience at that point. So I was like taking the script apart and reworking it and inserting material like, okay, then we'll stop here. We're going to do a song. We'll do this part of the song. We're going to do a funny takeoff on at that time, Will Rogers Follies was playing. And so, you know, the, um, what's the one with the hats? We did a very bad cowboy version of that choreography that I heard Susan Stroman laugh and I was like, oh, we're doing good. It just, it worked out. We finished that audition and Mike Ockrent threw their papers in the air and said, welcome. That's so exciting. Yes, yeah, suddenly we were on Broadway. And Brian, the third member of the Manhattan Rhythm Kings, he was a he was a musician. He was a bass player. He was such a great type. He was a big guy and he had this beard and just sort of naturally burly. So we did a whole number centered around Brian playing his bass to slap that bass. And that was Stroman going like, would Brian be okay if we used slap that bass? And that's that whole, that great number where we're playing the girls as basses. Yeah. Iconic. Iconic. It it turned into this whole thing. And that was because of Brian's skill set. Wow. That is so exciting. I've always wondered that. Thank you for explaining (laughs) that and the origin of how the Manhattan Rhythm Kings, you three, with your group, became part of the fabric and part of the creation of Crazy For You. And I should also add that in our act as the Manhattan Rhythm Kings, we played 11 musical instruments and two of us tap danced. And that's when Stroman was like, so Tripp, are you guys going to be okay dancing in the chorus? I was like, please... Yes. (laughs) Yes, please. And then that's if I don't know if you remember this, but in the middle of I Got Rhythm, we had an eight bar segment where we played. And it was like on a tire pump. (laughs) Hal had a, a, a toilet plunger. And Brian had a saw that he like one of those saws that you bow. And mm-hmm. he was playing that, and we were doing. <laughs> but it was eight bars, and you, you know, that was wow. I got rhythm. But um, yeah, so she used every trick she could think of with us, and you know, we were we were game for it. So. It was a really good time. We had been touring a lot up to that point, like doing one-nighters on the road. So the idea of coming home and doing a show, not knowing, of course, if it's going to hit, but, you know, yeah, and then it yeah. hit. And then it hit. Wow. And you're you're on Broadway for how, however long you got to do it. That's that's so exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you really for, cool. for telling us that story. <laughs> You've been part of many other favorite shows of mine, but I want to now skip ahead a little bit and come back to some of what we were talking about when you were starting to crack open what our brains do when we walk into an audition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our whole nervous system, right? You understand from my acupuncture practice, I saw a lot of patterns. And one of the things that you learn about as an acupuncturist in your education is the autonomic nervous system. One of the things that we're trying to downregulate is that fight or flight nervous system when an acupuncture client comes in, because so many chronic illnesses are related to living in that state too much of the time, especially with who? Actors, performers, those of us who like pounding the pavement, frustrated, you know, scared, Mm -hmm. nervous, anxious, Mm -hmm. all of those things that happen as a result of the lifestyle we've chosen and then the journey to get to where we think we want to go. So in the years of my acupuncture practice, there would be these patterns that would sort of come through physiological patterns. Why does the same person continue to have low back pain if there's not a structural issue there? Why does the same person tend to get headaches if there's not a structural problem or a you know some underlying medical issue that's causing these headaches? How do the patterns form in our physiology, our 
our mental and emotional body, our energetic body that repeat themselves over and over and over. So mm. this became like sort of this background tattoo in my brain, like how do we break these patterns? How can we shift out of these patterns? And a lot of the times in those private treatment rooms, I'd be having very intimate conversations with my clients. I wasn't trying to fix anything. I was just trying to understand where they were. Right. What was going on? You know, one of the things you learn as a clinician is, you know, when this started happening, what was going on in the few months before you started experiencing this? So you're looking for the lead up to that expression of that particular pattern. I just began to see that especially performers, especially us creators, were really locked into this perception of the world as having so little power, so little quote unquote control over anything that was happening. I got fascinated. Funny story. I did a podcast with our dear friend, Brad Bradley. Oh, who, love. Bless his we just heart. just lost Brad. We just lost Brad. But he had the Broadway backbone, you know, where he was looking mm-hmm. at the course. And yes. he had asked me if I would do an interview with him. And, and we did. And at the end, he asked me this question. He was like, so trip, what's next? And I was like, hmm, the mind is next. We've got to learn how to wrangle this very powerful, invisible force that's going on between our ears all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got to learn how to enter the system and own it because I feel like it drives us so much of the time and we're not aware of it even driving us. We just think, oh, it's another day and I'll just cross my fingers and put my head down and go for it. Right. But there's no conscious sense of entering the equation, no conscious sense of getting our hands on any of the dials to sort of influence how things go. And that kind of led me into my next, my next wave. You know, I seem to be one of those people that I don't, I don't just sort of gently transition from acting to choreography to directing. I go like, done with acting. I'm going to be an acupuncturist. As the zenith of that, you know, I kind of start going like, I'm not really, you know, the business of running a business in New York City. What's next? Hmm, Maybe coaching, maybe something where I can get my hands on people in smaller settings and or and larger settings like group settings and really sort of have an effect on how they're operating in their lives without having to put needles in them. That's what started the whole next wave for me of exploring neuroscience, going more deeply into this nervous system and how it runs us or how we affect it. This is fascinating to me, and it is so right on the money with much of what I speak to with my students, where I teach. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm working on a book, as you know, and part of what I want to bring to that too is about this idea of agency and intention, Mm -hmm. not just in our lives, but in our careers Mm -hmm. as musical theater performers. I, I like what you said before is like, We tend to wake up and cross our fingers and hope that we're lucky that day. And I want to try to start guiding people away from luck (laughs) and (laughs) more toward, you know, manifestation is like a four-letter word now, right? People kick it around and use it in ways that, that are unfortunately diminishing the power of how we actually can express intention in our lives. Mm-hmm. Also, that fact that our brains, you said it a second ago, our brains are so powerful and everything in the world is energy. Yes, sir. Including us. Quantum physics has shown us that molecules, you know how we learned about the molecule being a little ball and it had littler balls all rotating around it? Yes. Quantum physics has shown us that instead of it looking like that, it looks like nothing. There is no atom with balls circulating around it. There is space. space everything and I don't pretend to understand this but apparently you know what what looks solid to us is just because we've agreed that it's solid and it's our perception of it as solid that makes it so that's a rabbit hole we're not going to go down because I am not nearly smart enough to explain it me neither and my brain is already melting (laughs) you're welcome but keep going so anyway this this idea and of course this was also in practical application in my acupuncture practices that I was trying to move energy. I was constantly trying to reverse or unblock stuck energy. Because in Chinese medicine, the theory is that where there's pain, there is stagnation and blockage. We are these rivers of energy that flow in particular directions. And our job is to unblock where there is stuckness. It's like moving rocks out of the stream. You're just trying to create more flow an easier flow and more natural flow in the direction that the flow wants to go, which will take me right over to hello human beings. So you said a minute ago, you're talking about intention. 
and you're talking yes. about manifestation and the the cheap language that has shown up around this idea of manifestation. Manifestation right. is something that we're all doing every day all the time. Yeah, people just don't realize it. But, and now people are trying to codify it and say like, oh, here's how you manifest. Mm -hmm. Well, I, here, I'll tell you what, everybody on the podcast, here's how you manifest. Get up in the morning, you're manifesting. It's happened. The question is, with intention, are you going to manifest oh God, my life is terrible and I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to, I don't know, I'm going to watch TV. That That's manifesting. You are manifesting your day called, oh, my life is terrible and I'm going to watch TV. Or you're going to manifest like, okay, what can I do today? What's one step that I could take to move myself forward? And I'm going to then surrender my day to the to a benevolent universe, which I know is on my side. And just like it grows the flowers and just like it, a tree doesn't have to wonder what kind of leaves it should sprout. My life is going to unfold. So can you live in that world? Mm -hmm. And the trick for us human beings is to stop repeating the story about how it's not working. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. All right. So this is so huge. Stop repeating the story that it's not working. To my clients, when I'm coaching them, one of the things that I'll often say they will tell you ad nauseum is tell me a better story. Mm. And this isn't about suppression. This isn't about spiritual bypass. I do not ask people to say like, I'm not going through terrible things. You know, my cancer is, is my friend. No, I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is say, what might be going on here that is actually serving you sometimes in the most uncomfortable ways possible? Mm. Can you tell a different story about the breakup besides like, oh, he's an asshole and I shouldn't have, I knew it. I didn't trust myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what did you do when you weren't trusting yourself? What were you doing? What old pattern in your young indoctrinated self is still trying to express itself in a way to work itself out? Because that's what we're always trying to do is we're all, our, the human being is always evolving in every spiritual practice, every spiritual platform has been saying this from the beginning of time. It's just that neuroscience is now catching up with how to explain what's actually happening. And that is that we are always on a growing edge. The Talmud, I think it says, there's an angel over every blade of grass whispering, grow, grow, mm. grow. Buddha said, the mind is everything, what you think you become. So these spiritual traditions throughout the ages have been trying to clue us in to how right. it works. Now science is catching up and going, you know, they were right. You know what? If you say something differently, if you think about something differently, if you listen to the whisper in your ear of grow, 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 you're always going to be moving forward. You're always going to be open to the idea of what we now call a growth mindset, which is yes. so critical in the arts. It's so critical, I think, for us as creatives to stay open to the fact that nothing is fixed. I had a brilliant acting teacher. I'm so lucky that I had an acting teacher who challenged me at every turn. Every turn of my individual, my tricks didn't work with her. She was always like, stop <laughs> it. Stop doing that. And she was the first person to ever say to me, she overheard me talking to a classmate. And I had been uh, I had been held up at knife point in New York City. No, really? Content warning. I had been held up at knife point and I was in my 20s and I was just like, what? New York is scary. I was telling a girl in the acting class and she was like, oh my God, that's terrible. And this brilliant acting teacher, Sandy Shuren, who's still teaching today, she happened to be walking by and she said, you create everything in your life. I was like, what? I created getting held up at knife point? I don't think so. And then my friend that I was talking to said, well, you know, maybe you were feeling like a victim or maybe that's just kind of how you, you know, I don't know. She had been with Sandy longer, so she was uh -huh. <laughs> trying to figure it out. I spent 20 years in this acting studio teaching and working with Sandy, and she really changed my life. So this, wow. this neuroscience, this idea of transformation through our own agency and intention and moving forward and working with our thinking, working with our thoughts, it doesn't, it's not my own invention. I really inherit it. I stand on the shoulders of Sandy and yes. other spiritual teachers, but really she directly influenced my life. Amazing. How wonderful yeah. that you were blessed with an acting teacher who wasn't just giving you skills about 
how to make choices and choose an objective. She was also talking Correct. to you, talking into your life as an artist, as a human being. As a human being, as a human artist, and as a artistic being, you know, that mm -hmm. she was saying, you have much more influence over what comes out of your life than you think. And she would say, in the class, she'd say, let's set an intention as a group to, we want a coffee shop on the corner. We need a coffee shop nearby. <laughs> and you, don't you know within a year there would be a coffee shop on that corner? Oh, no way. We would play with it, but it was like, pardon my French, this shit is real. It is. Let's take this now and let's bring it into the young, aspiring actor into their life. Because I'm hoping that some of them will hear you when you say that your thoughts become words and words become actions. Actions become your life. And it all traces back to what's going on in your brain, what's going on in your thoughts. I had another teacher who said to me, everything is created twice. Everything. First in your mind. First in your mind. You know, the chair you're sitting on was somebody's idea. Right. The computer that you and I are looking at each other or listening to each other at it was somebody's idea. So we have the same ability and we're always doing it. And what I was saying about, you know, this idea of tell me a better story is the access to, and this brings us to us, our young actors. What is it that you are intending? And then we learn how to look at a script, right? We learn how to look at a piece of music and break it down and look at it from the point of view of, oh, what was the songwriter? What's the intention? What's the tone of this mm -hmm. piece wanting mm -hmm. to say? What is this script? this lead in, what are we, you know, when is that point where the words no longer serve us and we have to move into a song and we spend more time with a song and a scene thinking yeah. about intention and what it means than we do about our daily lives. Mm. And if there's one thing I would want to encourage young people to begin to understand is that you have a responsibility you you have the privilege actually and you have a responsibility to think about your life in the same terms how do i want my life to progress how can i move the direction of the needle two degrees one degree so that i end up at a very different place than where i might have had i not changed that trajectory and it comes from being intentional about your thinking and being honest about what you want, not just like, oh, they have that, I want that, because that's ego. That ego piece is not the piece that ever gets you the satisfaction of creating something out of nothing. If you're truly a creator, it's not a competition, and you are the source of some very unique point of view, some very unique mode of expression that is yours and nobody else's. You have a fingerprint, you have a vocal timbre, you have personal expression, you have a soul that is asking you to move very specifically in your lane. And unfortunately, we live in a, we, we experience a, an industry that loves to scare us to death. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> with, there's only one or two percent of you ever going to work at any given time. So just be grateful for whatever you get. Take uh, the money that they're offering you. Don't challenge it. Don't stand for more. You're not that special. There are a hundred people who want your place if you don't take it. Oh my gosh. I, just hearing you say that, and I know you're, <laughs> you're kind of mock, mocking a general voice uh, out there, but, but it's true. And you know what comes up for me as soon as I hear all that is I'm not worthy and I'm so afraid. Of course you are. And wouldn't that be the intention to keep you small? I don't want to take down the industry because I think it's rampant from the people, the people, you know, what did they say? Hurt people, hurt people. So right. producers or, or directors who are hurting us, they're in pain. There's some wound there that they're trying to overcompensate for. We're not going to necessarily change that voice. But what we can begin to change is I'm going to start developing an inner monologue of my own about not a role, but about me. I'm going to start talking to myself as if I truly believed that I deserve to have my vision be a reality. I'm going to start a, a communication line to me like I would talk to my best friend and say, you are unique. I love you. You have magic and power in your being. And I think that deserves to be 
experienced by an audience. Hey, this is David popping in here to let you know I'm also working on a book all about the mental game of musical theater, and I'd love for you to check it out. Head over to profeggers.com. That's P-R-O-F-E-G-G-E-R-S.com for information and to be one of the first to get your hands on this book. It's going to help you as you prepare for, pursue, and build your career in musical theater. I appreciate you checking it out, and I appreciate you being here. So let's get back to the episode. The difference, remember how we were saying everything is energy, that energy from a few minutes ago that made me feel unworthy and small and fearful. And then what you just said, it lights me up. The total energy shift. And I want to point out a couple of things, whether we know it or not, and most of us don't, we are running a tape in our head. Or, mm-hmm. or an audio in our head. We are constantly looping messages to ourselves in our yep. brain. And when we don't realize those are happening, I would venture to say that the majority of those things we're telling ourselves are not positive. They are negative <laughs> messages. They tend to keep us stuck or they tend to make us more scared or they tend to sabotage our confidence and our auditions or they make us not get up and do something productive but make us go you know binge another episode or two of of our favorite netflix show or whatever it is those messages play when you were talking about things i could say to myself the way you phrased it was so beautiful because if i remember right you said i am going to begin talking to myself as if mm-hmm. I were worthy or as if I mm-hmm. were this. And so there are two things in that too that I also think are worth pointing out is that it recognizes it's a process and it also recognizes that growth mindset and yes. that things can begin to evolve. It recognizes an evolution that is possible. It's not a lie that we're telling ourselves. oh, I'm the most confident person in the world. When we know that really inside, we're not that yet. Right. So well, because we there's another voice. These affirmations, this uh, you I'm sorry, you're hitting on such a such a pet peeve of mine that people do that thing where they're like, I'm great. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I am the greatest. And what <laughs> happens is there's another part of your brain going like, uh uh-uh. No, you're yeah. not. That's right. Because, 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 because. And you can actually what you're doing is you're setting those opposites in more firmly. So you can actually do damage with that kind of surface magical thinking. Like, I'm just going to wipe it away. No, not true. I want to speak to this idea of it is a process. One of the first things we learn as actors is... No, I'm taking on this character and it is different from me. Your vision of your identity as a person who is a star, an A-list player, somebody who's being offered multiple roles on Broadway and you have to actually choose the role you want as opposed to, I God, I hope I get a job one day and I, I'm probably not going to get it because there's so many great people auditioning. The difference between those two conversations starts with a, well, let me step into like, what if I told myself? What if as an actor, I looked at this scene and said, okay, I'm not this character, but what if I started thinking about how they think? How does this character live their life? What does this character get up in the morning and say to themselves? You know, in theater, it's usually not the best stuff because we're dealing with conflict and drama. Right. Stage-worthy stories. Yes. Stage-worthy stories. Right. <laughs> so you don't get up in the morning as a as a human being and want to play out your drama and your stage-worthy stories. What you want to get up and do is create a new one today. You want to be the blade of grass that hears the whisper saying, grow, grow, grow. And you want to say, okay, how can I grow today? What step can I take in the direction of? And one of the things that I find, and I'm speaking now of my delicious clients who have worked so hard with me, and we've developed this process together, really, because, you know, I, I didn't make it all up myself. And I stand on the shoulders of my teachers, and but it's evolving through me and my, my clientele. But one of the critical pieces that I would want a young person to understand is that one of the key skills you have to develop is your ability to master where your attention and your focus is going all the time. Okay. of the time. I know we've all heard, oh, there's a meditation challenge and I'm trying to calm down. I hate meditating. I can't sit still. It's not about sitting still and it's not about getting yourself to any particular place. 
it's developing the habit of being aware of where your mind goes at any given time without judgment. So this, this idea of developing mindfulness practices that A, change your state. And by state, I mean, we have multiple different frequencies that our brain waves operate on. We have, and you know, the conscious waking state on a daily basis is, you know, we wake up and we get busy, we start hustling and stressing. That's called beta or high beta if you're under a lot of pressure. Alpha is a state of being awake, aware, but relaxed and creative. That's the rest or digest part of our autonomic nervous system. Rest, digest, create, invent. So if we can learn to start managing this big, wobbly, indefinable, energetic thing called our brain, our mind, how it's operating on a daily basis, and learn to focus our awareness, learn to keep our attention where we want the attention to be going. Skill number one. That's key. Key. I imagine it goes hand in hand, but tell me if you can start practicing bringing awareness to your attention, guiding or directing your attention and Mm -hmm. noticing when it slips away from what you're trying to focus on. And Mm -hmm. so you bring it back, Mm -hmm. you gently bring it back. You don't judge, you bring it back. Correct. Does that go hand in hand with also growing an awareness of that self-talk? Totally. You know, because... You, when you start to pay attention to where your mind goes and you hear yourself going, well, you're probably not going to get the gig anyway because you're too short. And you go, oh, oh, excuse me. Hi, sorry, I'm building dreams here. You can go sit in the back and you start owning parts. You know, we have part. A dear friend of mine and I, Darlene Wilson, and I used to talk about the committee. We had a committee of people sitting behind that table. And it was like the audition table, like one person going like, yeah, he's pretty good. I don't know. And the other person going like, too short, too short. Don't hire him. The other one going like, oh, I don't think he's too short, but he is a little dumpy. You know, and so you have all these voices in your head that are, and if I can get a little neuroscience nerdy with you for a second. Please do. That these voices are really part and parcel of the indoctrination that happens most likely, or at least has an inception in messages that we got before we were five or six years old. Because we were born, we get here to this planet, we have 100 million neurons in our brain, and we have about 25 million synaptic connections. And those are just the basics. That's to cover, you know, sleeping, pooping, peeing, and <laughs> trying to let somebody know we need help. Then by the time we're five years old, we still have 100 million neurons in our brain. But by this time, we have five years, a quadrillion synaptic connections, a quadrillion. That is a thousand million. Wow synaptic connections. Now think about how much skill you had in perception, interpretation, verbal sparring by the time you were five years old. How much were you able to actually choose? And most of that time we weren't even verbal, right? Or, you know, much of it and certainly not, not cognitively sophisticated. So we took in tone, we took in vibe, We took in the raised eyebrow of our neighbor. We took in the kid who looked at us mean. We took all that in and conglomerated some story about ourselves. And so when we're looking at where these messages, these negative messages come from, it's not even our voice fundamentally. It's something that we learned from somebody else and then we just made it our own. Like, okay, I have to live in this tribe I have to live in this house, in this community, in this neighborhood, in this town, in this city, in this state, in this country. So I'm going to become this thing that I've been told I need to be. That sounds really daunting. I know when I say it that way. Yes, you're an individual. Yes, you have your own impulses. Yes, you have wrestled with some of these questions in your life. But underneath there is still probably, unless you're living at 100%, getting your vision to come to life, achieving your financial, your artistic your relational, your time and money freedom goals, there are things in the way. There's rocks in the stream. There's somewhere that you're not flowing. Mentally, emotionally, there are mental blocks, there are emotional hangups that we've gotten stuck, right? Yeah. And for anybody who feels bad right now, just know that I'm stuck all over the place. This is a daily practice. If I could even share this part of it, I would say to people like, I am soon to be 66 years old. I am working on this on a daily basis. I get up in the morning and I put 
things in my ear that I have recorded in my own voice so that I hear my voice telling me what I intend to have my day be, what I have my life be. Yeah. Oh, Trip, thank you for sharing that. I do the same. I'm still very much a work in progress. And David, I hope we continue to be because that yes. means we're on our green growing edge. We're mm. not settled into like, okay, got it. I'm hot. I'm fixed. I'll do it. Right, right. No, not there at all. Um, <laughs> but, but I interrupted you. Uh, go back because you were you were talking about recognizing that you you are blocked and you you haven't yet achieved all those things in your life that you want to achieve. It just means there's work to do that you get to become aware and go like, oh, in this arena of my life, I seem to complete this repetitive cycle over and over and over. And so for my young actors, I would say to you, as you move out into the world, as you move out into being a professional actor, if that's where you want to go, or being a part-time creative, if that's where you prefer to go and have a quote unquote steady job for whatever that's worth in this day and age, you get to go, okay, in this area of my life, I consistently repeat this pattern. What is that about? What is it that I'm telling myself on a daily basis or a weekly basis or an unconscious basis that I'm going to start bringing to consciousness that says, no matter how much money I earn, I end up broke at the end of the month. No matter how much money I earn, I somehow figure out the way energy works. I somehow find a huge bill I'm going to need to pay. If I'm responsible and I'm interacting with this unknown energy, this potential energy out there in the ether, I'm somehow generating a story that fits my model. I create another circumstance that makes my self-perception true because our brain wants to be right. Truth bomb. Yes. All these bombs just exploded hearing you say that. <laughs> Incredible. Everyone rewind and listen to that again. So if, we, if we're going to do something about it, what we get to do is start talking to yourself as if you knew the answer to this question. What is it that I'm participating in here? I can't change the history for sure. I can't really control the future, but what I can begin to do is have a conversation with myself without judgment. And this is that mindful piece. And this is why meditation is so valuable. I'll stop saying it, but learning to be present to without judgment. Okay. Okay. I see this pattern repeating itself. I always get the same boyfriend, girlfriend, person. I seem to attract the same person, different name, different clothes, but same circumstance. How am I participating in that? What is it giving me that I continue to return to that? It's a wound, I promise you, wherever these gaps are in your vision realization, in your manifestation, sorry for that word, whatever's showing up in your life is just a reflection of who you're being. It's a report card. It's not an indictment of your humanity. Oh, it's a report card, not an indictment of your humanity. Just because you're broke today doesn't mean that you're meant to be broke. That's not the message. The message is, where is your attention? What are you paying attention to that says money is bad or I'm not supposed to have money, I guess. I'm just one of those people that doesn't ever get to have money because I don't know people with money and the ones I do know, I don't like. You know, So we, it's right. our judgments and our, our decisions and our repetitive messaging to ourselves that we constantly reinforce, we rehearse the version of ourselves that we keep telling ourselves. And, you know, you have students, they know how to rehearse a scene, yeah. they know how to rehearse a song, learn how to rehearse your life. And you don't have to be perfect at it to go back to it's a process. You don't have to be perfect at it from the get go. And it doesn't feel natural because that's not who you've been. Right. Your identity is stuck back there in I'm broke and I have terrible relationships. Or I bomb at every audition. Or I bomb or I at every audition. Or I'm a yeah. terrible actor. Or I can't dance. And so continuing to tell those things to yourself or carry that story, you said the word story earlier, and repeating those things to yourself, whether you say them out loud or not, or maybe you're just thinking them, you're reinforcing that story. Well, and the ones that we're just thinking and not really aware of them, those are the dangerous ones. Right. Right. So we might go like, oh, I always do that. I always freak myself out before an audition. Well, okay, so there's an, on some sort of awareness there. 
But when you come out of an audition and just go like, God, I'm horrible. I'm just horrible. I hate my life. I hate myself. That's unconscious. That's taking a circumstance and turning it into you, taking it on as your persona, as your, as your identity. And that's not the truth. This whole idea of being able to observe and separate and create mm-hmm. some detachment from the story is so critical to this work. I heard you say a second ago, your consciousness or consciously doing something. It reminded me that we haven't really really framed any of this as like what happens with your subconscious mind. First of all, the word subconscious is much more codified in our current culture. So we can start to go like, oh, the subconscious mind. So when I'm talking about this lack of awareness, this unconscious behavior that persists no matter what. We actually have three brains. I already talked about one of them. The one brain is that sort of lizard brain that is just survive. Don't thrive. Don't move. Don't go do anything new because we don't know if we'll live through it. And it's just constantly sending those negative messages to you about like, don't try. You're going to humiliate us. And it also sometimes sounds really nice. Like, oh, come over here. Let's have ice cream and watch Netflix. That'll be fun. (laughs) And it's not fun. At the end of the day, you're like, I hate my I feel disgusting. So that's that sort of lizard brain that just wants to keep you in one place. Then there is the conscious brain. That's the executive function. That's where we create. It's where we decide. It's where we have ideas and we kind of mull over like, "Mm, I wonder if, oh, I have an idea. I should write a book and I should make a podcast. Right, David Eggers? That's right. I have this idea and I worked on it for a long time. And so that's your conscious part of the prefrontal cortex. Then you have something called the cerebellum, which is where our subconscious mind resides. The subconscious mind is on like a security camera 24-7. Never blinks, never misses anything in your world that's happening. That's that little part that got really indoctrinated when you were very young. And what it sees, what it hears and experiences through your sensory perception of the world predominantly is what it goes, oh, okay, so we should put that in the hopper and just put that on autopilot so that every time we go to the door, we don't have to figure out how to turn a doorknob again. When we ride a bike, we don't have to figure out what a pedal is next time. And so it automates what it perceives as the most important, predominant behaviors, feelings, yes, feelings and emotions and thoughts. So when you're going every time I'm having this relationship again. Well, that's because something in your subconscious brain is on autopilot going, don't go for the one that looks different or feels better. Go for the one that makes you feel a little insecure. Don't take this dependable, steady income. Don't go get a day job. Hold out for the art. And just suffer because you don't deserve money. Whatever it is, there's something in that subconscious. It's like the lid closes after it goes in there. So you don't have conscious access to it until you start paying attention and getting this this awareness, becoming aware of your thoughts, becoming aware of the patterns of your thoughts and how and what's repeating over and over. What is it that you're rehearsing? Because rehearsing your attention is perceived by the subconscious as intention. Say that again. Your attention, whatever you're paying the most attention to, is perceived by your subconscious as like, oh, must be important. He keeps paying attention to it. Put it on autopilot so we don't have to think about it anymore. We'll just do it in the background all the time. So then that begs the question, can you retrain your subconscious mind? That's the the basis of my entire platform, the Mind Mastery Institute and this course that I have created. Specifically, I'm aiming it at performers and actors and creatives to understand the process that there is actually now, thank you, brain science, there is actually a process by which you have to go in and ferret out the ideas, the thoughts, the beliefs, the emotions, the models that you may be following might have followed as a younger person that have sort of moved into that subconscious space. The clue is wherever your life isn't working, wherever you're feeling like, I don't know why I can't get the right gig. I always get the second banana. I never get the lead Mm -hmm. because there's a story in there. And so we have to go out and we pull these out. But then there is a process that I take people through over a period of months, to be honest, because here's the thing, how your subconscious brain works as it goes. So this is more neuroscience. Sorry, I'll make it quick. When we learn something brand new, we hear it for the first time. It's like, oh, little synapses come together and start like making contact with each other. And those are new. These are new synaptic connections forming. But if we don't go back and repeat it, if we don't read that chapter again, if we don't look at our script again for another week, it comes apart and we don't remember any of our lines, right? right? But if we pick up that book every day and we think about not only the lines, but what's the meaning and what's underneath, then these synaptic connections start getting thicker 
and they start getting gluier together. And this neuronal glue, they call it, starts forming to hold these synaptic connections in place. Now, where our lives are concerned, where we're feeling stuck, we also have the old synaptic connection, very well-worn, deep ruts in the road going, no, 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 you're not hireable. You know that. You're not the best one in the room. You're not ever going to be any better than those other people. Whatever that old story is, that's the one that you've repeated enough times that is running on autopilot in these deeply worn ruts in your brain. Good news, what happens is you start creating the new version and there's a time frame. If you can hold the focus, the attention and the focus on this new vision, and we have lots of ways to help ourselves do that, you strengthen these neurons neuronal connections, these new synaptic connections in your brain, while consciously saying no when the other one wants to come in and dominate. Because you'll hear it. It will. It, yeah. The first 21 days of this process are really like, oh, stop it. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Go away. I'm not looking at you. And not even getting that involved with them. It's literally like, oh, I see you. Bye. Yeah, no. And we come back to this focus of what it is we're creating, the new creation, just like we do with a script. What is that line again? What is that line again? No, I'm going to memorize this line. Now we're going to memorize this new life. I'm going to teach myself a future outcome. I'm going to train my brain for a future outcome. And guess what? The way the subconscious works, we now know that a vividly sensorially experienced scene to our subconscious brain is no different than a real scene that we experienced. It knows no difference. No it? difference. Same, same. So if you can ignore the one, the old one, which that part, they start to be about the same strength somewhere between 21 and 35 days, where this new one is now sort of firmly in place. You've repeated it enough times that the brain is like going, okay, Okay, he must really want to hang on to this one. And this other one is starting to dissolve because the ones that don't get your attention dissolve. The mm. synaptic connections literally start breaking apart, mm. floating off into space. That's good news. So here's the scary part. Here's the line of demarcation. Some people get to that 21 to 30 day period and start going like, oh, I'm feeling good. And they stop paying attention to the new one. Guess what? It's still not as strong as the old one and it starts breaking apart and the old one goes like right back. So what I tell people is that if it's sort of a, your run of the mill conflict, the run of the mill old story that you're really ready to let go of, that new neural network takes about 67 days to fully train and dominate the old one. And let's say it's maybe an old addictive behavior. It's something that's really, really maybe got some trauma around it for you. There might be some other work you'd have to do as well, but, and those can take several months. They can take a year to really create a new version. What I want to say to people is this is not magical thinking. This isn't like, oh, I see myself on the stage and I'm beautiful and everybody loves me and I'm, they're cheering for me. Fine as part of a larger vision, but it has to be rooted in why does this matter? Why do I need to be this? What does that give me? What does that mean for my life, for myself, for my soul's expression. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Yeah. What does it taste, smell, sound like? So the, mm -hmm. the senses are so critically important to this process, just like they are as actors, right? right? How many times do we tell our young actors, open your listening, less being ready for your line, more yeah. hear, feel, sense what's happening in the room. And so that's what we have to do as humans. You know, we have to apply. This is why I love working with creatives too, though, because we get this language. We get the concept because of all the work we've done in the arts. We just have to be willing to stop living the suffering artist's life. Oh my gosh. You have mentioned that a few times. And I did it too. When I was younger, I somehow romanticized that suffering artist idea and somehow embraced being a pauper, somehow paying some sort of of cosmic price to be an artist who expresses themselves would be the ultimate existence for me. We should just break into Les Miserables. You know, I won't, <laughs> we should just start singing right now. Exactly. So you don't have to be that dramatic. It can show up more subtle than that, right? And it does because we live in an industry, as we've spoken about, that, that reinforces that, that there's plenty of people to take your job. If you don't want it, 
there's somebody else in line. This industry is infected with a very scarcity mentality. And so uh, if I could speak to your students and your Please. audience, one of the other things that I would say is early in your journey, it's time to be risky enough to start creating your own work. Don't wait till you're 50 and nobody's hiring you and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do now. I'm too old. Do it now. And if you're yes. 50, do it anyway. Still do it and fight That's that right. voice about age. So sorry to put that in your brain. This idea of being willing to create our own path, carve our own journey. And it's scary. That's the scary journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's what our soul is challenging us to do. Mm, I love that. Because if you're not getting hired, if you're not getting the work, don't wait. Make your own work. Create your own show. Create your own play. Write a script. Do a cabaret act. Put a plywood board down on the subway platform and put out your guitar case and start tap dancing. You know, the right. rhythm things started on the streets. No way. Really? We were a street act. Guitar case, a tap dancer, a piece of plywood, Ow. and then winter came. So we had to look for work inside. <laughs> <laughs> so to bring it back full circle, you were someone with a passion and a drive to express this part of your soul. And you just found a way and then it evolved into all of these incredible opportunities and working with these incredible people and traveling the world and representing the United States in the Russia. Soviet <laughs> Union and Russia. Oh my gosh. Just think about yeah. that trajectory because you wouldn't... Because I said yes. If there's a simple way to think about this, it's being willing to say yes, even when you're scared, even when you're a little bit like, oh God, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it, but go for it. Challenge yourself and do the work to develop the skills. You know, when I joined the Rhythm Kings, I wasn't as strong a tapper as you, I would have wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And we were going to start dancing with Tommy Tune. And I was like, oh, I better bone up a little bit. And I went and started taking tap class with Leslie Lockery at Step Studio, and she turned my abilities to dance inside out, my tapping. It's not that there's not work to be done. It's not right. just think it and it's going to happen. That's this process that I talk about. There are five steps. And the, the, the simple version is you have to get very clear and focus on what it is and learn how to hold that focus. And then you have to challenge yourself like an acting exercise to really dive into the emotions of that reality. What are the good, the bad? Really feel it. And not just magical like, oh, it's so great. I'm so famous. I'm so great. But it's more like, oh, yeah. And I have a part of me in here going, oh, I don't know if I, my problem. What is going to happen to my privacy? What's, so you have to reckon with all of these forces that are going to show up in response to that vision. And you do. And you work through them. And you work through them. And you work through them. And then you let the whole thing go. Hmm. Because then you say, the dream is created on some plane of reality already. Now my work is to trust the universe and I said it earlier, a flower doesn't have to figure out what color to be. The acorn doesn't have to figure out, well, should I be a pine tree or should I turn into a ma no, I'm going to be an no, I'm going to be a maple tree. Oh, uh, no, I maybe mm. <laughs> Right. So that's step three. Step four is to find what's working in your life every single day. Gratitude practice, gratitude practice. I know it's very trite these days, but if you can really allow yourself, because what happens when somebody gives you a gift, you say, oh, thank you. That's gratitude. And that gratitude is about receiving. Mm. That's the energy of gratitude. And then step five of this process is what's one thing you can do today to move one inch closer, a yard, maybe a mile closer. You don't know that. You can't control the outcome, but what you can do is control the choice to move forward. Oh, that's gold. That is gold. You cannot control the outcome, but you can control the choice to move forward. Trip. Yeah. we could talk all day. Apparently. This is, <laughs> this is so important. These concepts, shedding light on these truths, bringing a greater sense of intention and agency and ownership to our lives. When I first experienced this podcast, when I heard you talking with Kelly O'Hara, I just thought this is a conversation that is so meaningful to me, that this is about life. I think I said to you, that podcast was like a life lesson wrapped up in a musical theater lesson, wrapped up in <laughs> juicy deliciousness. 
and wisdom. And that's who you are. And it's what you evoke in all of us. And I'm so grateful to have this time with you. I'm such a big believer. I've been a fan since whatever, whatever century we met in. (laughs) (laughs) But I also I'm in such awe of what you're creating here. And you are living proof of everything I'm talking about, because I know you long enough to know that there's a journey here. Yeah. And some days you were like, I don't know which way I'm going. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's wrong. Right. Your words mean so much to me. I can't even tell you. Let's also acknowledge that you are part of that journey. And what you're bringing here today is immeasurably valuable. Thank you so much for sharing all that you have given us today. I hope everyone gets to hear this podcast and gets to hear you speak to these truths and to these tools Mm -hmm. that we all can access. If there's any gift, if there's any intention that I have here, it's to have people understand, yeah, it's all good theory until we have something we can practice. We can go to the bar and do plies, you know, work on our hip flexors extension, (laughs) that there's a process, that there is a measurable, proven. This is brain science at its finest, and it's continuing to evolve. Only the last 10 or 15 years have shown us any of this. So we're really sort of on the cutting edge. And if you take advantage of this now, it's here for you. And that's what I love talking to people about now. Well, let's let's start to wrap this up. I want to ask you my favorite five lightning round questions now. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I've heard yeah, these on I, your podcast. I imagine you read. So I want to ask you, what is the last book that you read? <laughs> I've watched the entire accessible series of Outlander, and now I'm starting to read the books. So I'm reading the first Outlander book. Really, I wanted to see how close to the storytelling it was. Really good. How fun. Well, that was question number three is, do you watch TV and what are you currently hooked on? Oh, I do watch TV. I curate TV, I like to say. I don't just watch whatever shows up. So guess what I've just discovered that I never knew about? And I know people are going to be like, what? That show's so old. Arrested Development. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I don't know how I didn't lock into it before. You you were busy. You just missed it. I, I had a show and I couldn't figure out how to program my VCR. So. <laughs> VCR. For the, for the youngins out there, that thing used to tape shows for us. Yeah. We didn't have digital TV, youngsters. Oh, I love Arrested Development. And I think it will endure because it, the writing is so good. So crisp. And the performances performances. are spot on. So funny. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that. Okay, back to question number two. Do you listen ever to musicals now in your life? Interesting that you should say this, David. So life is so funny. Part of my uh, intention for 2023 was to sort of return to fun, having more fun. I spent a lot of time in 2022 working hard and digging deep into all this neuroscience and creating this platform. It was its own kind of fun, but I wanted something lighthearted. And so I went and auditioned for these shows here in Rochester where I'm living now, and I'm going to be doing Kinky Boots and I'm going to be doing the producers next spring. So yeah, I'm actually listening to, and I'm choreographing for this theater company, a young person's version of Anastasia. So that's my listening list right now. And I did a summer camp where I taught You're in Town, and then I taught Carrie the musical, and then I taught (laughs) Nine to Five. So I've been in musical theater these last few months. I love that. Okay. Next question. Favorite snack food? Blue corn chips. Blue corn chips. Delicious. Delicious. Um, and then, you know, if you happen to have a little guacamole nearby. Yeah, that doesn't hurt, does it? That doesn't hurt. <laughs> All right. So now you've just revealed that you're returning to a stage real soon. So then I think this is a fair question. Let's live in our imaginations and our dreams and answer this question. If you could play any role on stage that you know of right now, what would it be? It's a very interesting change of at 66, what would I what would it be today? And I think I'm going to do it next May when I play Roger Debris in the producers. Oh, so fun. That's just awesome. Talk about lighthearted and a romp and getting uh-huh. to just be as kooky as I can possibly figure out how to be. <laughs> And allowing myself, this is key, because if you'd asked me that question a year ago, I'd have probably said some dark, dramatic role. And now it's like, oh, no, I want to be the funny guy down in one, sitting on the edge of the stage, singing Springtime for Hitler. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
how I wish I could go to Rochester, New York <laughs> next May. Trip, this has been so incredible. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time and everything that you brought to this conversation today. Hey, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Several places. My website is mindmasteryinstitute.com. I am on Facebook, Trip Hansen. I am on Instagram, Trip Hansen Official. Can I say one other? I just like to offer to your listeners and to your students because I believe so deeply in this. I'm actually working on a little something right now, which would be a freebie. It would be like sort of like the mini version of what we've been talking about today. Oh, yeah? A little bit more of a like a walkthrough of the process of starting to apply this neuroscience in a daily basis kind of way. Great. It's going to be on my on my website. So I'd like to alert your listeners to specifically look for what I'm going to call peak performance magic. Peak performance magic. Yeah. And then maybe it'll have a subtitle like get the role, get the job, get that job. Oh, I love that. So that's going to be available on your website Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. can check that out. And it sounds, oh, that would be so amazing. Thank you for offering that and for bringing that to our attention. Everyone who's heard that, go grab it. It's only going to help on this journey. This is a lifelong journey, everybody. So start now. Well, I am happy to journey with you, Trip. Thank you for being here today. It means the world to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That means the world to me. Hey, thanks for being here today. If you enjoyed this episode at all, please take a moment to leave a review with high marks. You wouldn't believe how much a positive review helps this podcast to reach more people. Then head over to profagers.com to check out my book, all about the mental game of musical theater. And lastly, no matter how you spend the rest of your day, bring enthusiasm to it. You only get this day once, and life keeps getting better and better when you bring enthusiasm to everything that you get to do. Thanks again for spending part of your day with me. Until next time, this is Prof. Eggers signing out.